Praise God. All right, young people. Thank you. Thank you, musicians and singers. God bless you. Once again, my wife and I, we are honored to be here in uh, Bay City. We've learned so much uh, from Pastor Mike over the years. And uh, it is a great privilege to be able to come here to share with you our life, our ministry, and what God is doing in Malaysia. Um, one of my greatest desire, my greatest passion in life is so that the house of God, the kingdom of God, can raise a brand new generation of people that can go out there and impact our world for Jesus Christ. Truly, that's my desire. I want to see Christians, I want to see believers doing great things for God in the world that we live in. Tonight, I've got a great message I want to share with you. I want to share with you on faith. What is faith all about? If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let us pray. Father God, we commit tonight's preaching into your mighty hand. Father, let your word come forth, speak into our hearts, change and transform our lives so that we may become like Jesus more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. One of the most important spiritual elements that sparks our new life in Christ, that unlock spiritual promises, that turns dreams into reality, is faith. Faith is that spiritual element in our lives that can do things that will take place only in the supernatural. Faith is a spiritual weapon that God has given to us as believers. Faith is powerful. Faith is like an arm that reaches out into the supernatural and bring God's blessings, God's promises into our natural world. It is with faith that we go into the presence of God and receive the promises, the works of God, and bring it into reality. It is during times of worship, time spent with God, that we begin to write songs, songs that will touch eventually millions of people. It is through times of worship that when we are in the presence of God, that we receive vision so that we can do something for the world that we live in. Faith gives us the ability to believe, the strength to keep going, and the courage to move into the unknown in the kingdom of God. Faith is a powerful element that you and I cannot afford not to have. Faith is a law. It is not just a theory. It's a law because as a law, it is proven it will work anywhere, whether it is in New Zealand, in Malaysia, in Singapore, or anywhere on planet Earth. It is the same as the law of gravity. It works. The same as the law of sowing and reaping. It works wherever we are. And so friends, to be strong, we need to develop the muscles of faith in our lives. To be a mature and strong Christians, we need to develop such faith. So when hard times come, when challenging times come, do not pray and ask God. Say, God, do not let this difficult situation come my way. But instead, pray that I will have a greater portion of faith to overcome the situation that I'm in so that I may develop my spiritual muscles to keep trusting and believing in God. 
So how do we build up faith in our lives? The Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we receive faith through reading and hearing the Word of God. So we don't get faith by reading the newspaper. We don't get faith by watching the news. We don't get faith by reading a magazine. But we get faith when we read and study the the unchanging truth of the Word of God. Are you all with me tonight? Yes. So faith is developed when we develop a habit of learning, of loving the Word of God. Faith is also developed over a period of time as we develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That when we learn to love God, when we learn to fear God in our lives, faith will increase. Amen? The Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The author of Hebrews tells us that faith is a substance, that faith is an evidence of things not seen. However, faith is something tangible. It goes beyond our feeling. Faith is a conviction. It is the condition and the product of the heart. So what is faith? Faith is a sense whereby you know and you know and you know and you know that God has called you to do something with this life. Amen? Faith begins with God's character. Our God is a God of faith. When He speaks, things come to pass. He is who He says He is. But faith ends, but, but it ends with God's promises because the Bible tells us He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God, through us. So the Bible tells us that when God says something that He will do, He will make sure that it comes to pass. Faith does not waver. Faith cannot change. Faith is not circumstantial because faith depends on the Word of God. Faith relies on the Word of God. Faith is spoken by God, performed by God, fulfilled by God. So you see, there is something that we need to learn. The moment faith is released, the Word of God is being released. For example, God called us to do something. Maybe God called us to plant a church. Maybe God called us to start a business. And you know, and you know, and you know that God has spoken to you and it was confirmed with signs, confirmed by different people, different leaders in your life. So the moment, look at, probably at this point, Maybe in January, the Lord spoke to you and said, Son, this is what I want you to do. I want to embark on a ministry or embark on a work that I have prepared for you. So God released the word in January. But then it may not come to pass till October or November the same year. And so from the moment the word of God is released to the point where the word of God is fulfilled, the journey from this part to this part is called the process of faith. That means you and I, we have to go through the process. How many of you heard God spoke to us before? We all have. But the moment we hear the word, we feel so full of faith. We feel in our hearts, all things are possible. There is a certain conviction in us. 
tomorrow morning you wake up, kind of like, uh-oh, maybe God didn't speak to me at all. Maybe I was just dreaming or maybe I had too much pizza just now. Well, you know, maybe it wasn't God. And then you wake up the next morning and you feel better. You feel stronger. You feel, hey, this is really what God wants me to do. And then the next day you wake up, hey, you come back to square one again. Like, maybe God never called me after all. And then we all get discouraged. Oh, we get disappointed. And then we have to call people. You know what? Uh, I, I think God didn't call me after all. And then the next day, you become strong. Again. So what we need to do is that we need to work out the muscles of our faith during the process of faith. Sometimes our feelings will tell us something that is not quite the thing that God told us, right? But what we need to do is that we need to keep going. We need to keep going and we need to keep going. I remember the story I read somewhere quite long ago. You see, for a hen to hatch an egg, the hen got to spend at least, what, 21 days and uh, incubating the egg before the egg would be hatched. The hen cannot give up. The hen cannot say, well, after the third day, you know what? Little eggs, I love you, but I don't think you're ever going to be hatched again. So bye-bye, I'm going to leave you on the third day. Some people quit on the third day. Some people quit on the fifth day or on the sixth day. But can you imagine you quit on the 20th day? When the next day is the day that your promise that God has given to you will come to pass. There are two kinds of faith I want to share with you. One kind is relentless faith. The kind of faith that is unshakable, that you know God has asked you to do something. But on top of that, to go further, a level higher, is what we have called reckless faith. What is recklessness? Recklessness sounds like something negative, a feeling of carelessness and a reluctance to obedience. But when you combine recklessness with faith, and you have reckless faith, it becomes unimaginably powerful. It turns into a faith that disregards consequences, a faith without caution, and a faith that solely believes in Jesus and depends on Jesus. This is the kind of faith I want to share with you tonight. John Wimber said this, The economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom costs us everything we have gained to date. Every time we cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cause us all the reputation and security we have accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. A disciple is always ready to take that next step. If there's anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is a willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It is a willingness to put our hand in His and say, I'm scared to death, but I'll go with you. You are the pearl of great price. Isn't that amazing that one man's encounter with God will build his faith muscle so strong that he will never be shaken, will never give up the thing that God has asked him to do. But I want to share with you, we do not develop reckless faith on day one, we become a believer of Jesus Christ. Neither do we develop reckless faith after two years or three years. Reckless faith is developed as we put our lives and our trust in Jesus. There are three levels of faith. Level number one is called human faith or self-belief. All of us, we have a certain amount of self-belief. We believe in certain things that only we can do, right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 
The Bible says, do not, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Confidence is an attitude. You know there are only certain things that you can do. So you are very confident. You're quite comfortable doing that. How do we have confidence? It comes from a position of knowing. For example, one plus one equals to two. All right? If you think it's three, then we're going to talk to the pastor and have some counseling afterwards. All right? It comes from a position of knowing. And you know it's simple. One plus one equals to two. And, and nothing should be able to change the fact or no one can come into your life and say, well, you know what? One plus one is not two. It is two point something. No. But when you know the Word of God, when you know your life, you know that God has spoken to you, it is a result of a knowledge knowing who you are and what you have done. Let me give you an example. Um, in my country, in Malaysia, all right, um, it is a strange thing that sometimes that, uh, you know, you have traffic lights, but then we don't use the traffic light. We have a traffic police instead, right? So the traffic police will stand in the middle of the road and then he will direct the traffic, all right? So he'll say, go, and he will put on his uniform in the middle of the road. You see, Malaysian driving is quite different from here, all right? People can be rather reckless sometimes. But let me ask you a question. What gives that policeman the confidence to stand in the middle of the road to direct the traffic? It is not because he's a policeman. It is not because he works for the government. For a simple fact, he's the confident to do that because of the uniform that he's wearing on that day. Are you all with me? And because of his uniform, and people recognize that. People say, oh, it's a policeman. All right, let's drive carefully. All right, don't, make sure we don't run him down. All right, he, he, he belongs to the government. He's a police officer. Are you all with me? But imagine he goes back another day when he's not on duty and he's not wearing his uniform, and he tries to direct the traffic at the center of Kuala Lumpur, I can tell you in five seconds flat, he would be run down by a truck because the people won't believe. I mean, probably they'll think that this guy is crazy. Why is he directing the traffic? But when he put on a uniform, so this is human faith. You believe in that guy because of the uniform that he's wearing. This is level one. Level one, confidence. Level two, it's what we call daily faith or faith to live by. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just, the Bible says, shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. This is the faith to live by on a daily basis. We live by common sense. 99% of the time, God expects us to live by it. And of course, we live by wisdom, wisdom that comes from the Word of God. So what do we need wisdom for every day? Like, for example, what to eat, where to eat, when to sleep, where to work, when to take a shower, when to praise and worship God, when to read the Bible. So we depend our lives on a common sense, right? When we're hungry, we go to eat. When we're tired, we rest. We do not hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us with an audible voice on a daily basis. I hope we could, but we don't. So daily faith comes from the written Word of God, comes from the Bible. When you're fearful, read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. So when we are fearful, we read 
the scripture. Or when we feel anxious about finances, we trust the promises of God that God has given to us. Or when we are uncertain about our future, the word of God promised us that God has a future for us, a future of hope and a future of peace. So level one, confidence. Level two, faith to live by according to the word of God. But there's a level three that I want to share with you tonight. It's what we call reckless faith. What is reckless faith? Reckless faith is a gift of faith. It's a gift that comes from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that to another faith by the same Spirit. So faith is a gift given to us by the Spirit of God. So the reckless faith is what I want to talk about tonight. This faith is something, it's not something that we can have. It is not something at our disposal. It is very powerful because reckless faith is God's kind of faith. It's God's own faith. It is supernatural. We cannot possess it. We cannot say, well, I have reckless faith right now. No, but we can position ourselves in such a way that God wants to deposit that kind of faith into our lives so that we can do a certain task that God wants us to do. In Mark chapter 11, let's go to Mark chapter 11. All right? So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Now, in actual, in original Hebrew, I mean Greek translation, have faith in God should be translated as have faith of God. Have the faith of God. This faith is a piece of God given to us. It is supernaturally powerful. It can do things the natural mind cannot understand. It gives you goosebumps because you know and you know and you know that it is something that God wants you to do. Amen? And in order to have that kind of faith, we need to position ourselves and make sure that we've heard from God correctly. In the Bible, we have stories and histories of how different people have received reckless faith and do reckless things for God. For example, number one, David's faith to challenge Goliath. Think about it for a moment. It was absolutely reckless. He was unconcerned with the probable consequence. Here you are, a shepherd boy. You have a shepherd boy to challenge a soldier. Goliath is no ordinary army. He was nine foot tall and he could destroy anybody. How on planet earth would you have a young, untrained shepherd boy to try to kill a professional army? It is not possible. It is against all odds. But then, time and time again, we hear of stories like that, that inspire us to keep going strong for Jesus. Amen? So we have a story of how David killed the giant. Now, at that point of time, he received a revelation of God, a faith that says, who is this that dare to challenge the army of God, to challenge God? I am going to defeat this giant. David possessed reckless faith. Because if you look at David, he doesn't go around challenging all kinds of enemies every day of his life. It was for that precise moment that he has received a portion of God's faith. And then there's another story 
Rabbi Samson, with the jawbone of a donkey. He killed 1,000 Philistines with it. Friends, it was reckless. It was not possible. It was not even logical. But Samson did it. He was filled with the Spirit of God and did the unthinkable. His faith was purely God's, purely reckless. How on earth you can do that? How on earth he could achieve that? He was utterly unperturbed by the probable consequence, except for the fact that his trust is in God. Friends, in our lives, there will be times that we need to possess faith. That is like David's faith when he challenged Goliath. Or Samson's faith when he tried to defeat 1,000 Philistines soldiers. And then we have another third story of Peter. Peter is this exciting disciple of Jesus Christ. He always does something first and then regret later. He's this funny character. And at one time, they were on the boat and they saw Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. He said a ghost. The disciples were on the boat and said, no, it is me. And then Peter said, well, if you are Lord, call me. And what happened was Peter stepped out of the boat and started walking on water. Think about it for a moment. What has walking on water do to our faith? What, what, can, what, what good it is that it will do to our lives? Nothing, but except for one thing, he has increased Peter's faith that Jesus is none other than the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. Amen? So there are times in our lives that we need to leave our comfort zone, step off the boat, and really do something when you know and you know and you know that there's none other than God who has called you to do something. God's own faith is for a specific moment, for a specific task. Along the journey of life, we will be given different chances and opportunities to experience the God's kind of faith in our lives. Moments whereby you and I know that we need to do something for God. And I'm sure when Pastor Mike has to come over to Hastings to plant a church, it was none other than God who has spoken to him. And, and for me, to serve God, it has got to be God. Because when I was growing up in the youth group, and I've got all these beautiful young people here, they're like my fans, because every time I come up, they will cheer, right? I was the most unlikely young person that will ever become a pastor. I will be the one at the back. Whenever the pastor's preaching, I'll either be sleeping or not interested at all. I will be late for church. I, I can be so late for church when I was growing up because in my family, I was the only one going to church at that point of time. I, I could be so late going to church, I was just in time for the closing prayer. And, and I tell you, you know, I was thinking, now that I think back, my youth leader would have thought, this is a gone case, you know, this guy is no more, you know, there's no hope left in this guy to follow Jesus. I was the most unlikely person. But there were times and seasons in my life whereby I heard God spoke to me and said, son, I want you to serve me with this life that I've given to you. I could have chosen not to obey, but because I did, God has given me the privilege to serve Him and to plant a church. Today, we have a church of 1,200 young adults. A very happy church, a church that is always very excited. 
But you see, in order for me to pioneer that church, it wasn't easy. It wasn't something that I've wanted to do. But it was God who wants me to do it. And to ensure that I've heard God correctly, I got to talk to different people. I got to pray. I got to seek the face of God. Because people told me that it is impossible to plant a church whereby every one of them is a young person. Your church will not grow. Your church will experience financial difficulty. Your church will never amount to anything in the city of Kuala Lumpur. But we did it. The 20 of us, we did it. Why? Because we believe that God has spoken to us. God has deposited a vision. And so in those moments whereby God deposited His faith into our lives, it is our choice whether we want to respond to God or not. Six years now, our church is 1,200 strong. And, and we are growing. And we have grown, we have grown, we have grown. And a, we are running on the three services right now because the hall is not big enough. And um, when we were just 80 people, we started to raise our first building fund. Now, like I shared this morning, I don't have the privilege like Moses. Moses could tell his people, say, oh, it's too much. Don't give any more. We have more than enough to build the house of God. And when we were 80 people, we started our first rise and build. We raised about 100,000 with 80 young adults. We all work like mad. We'll work part-time. We'll work overtime. We'll work just to save that extra money to give to the work of God, to the building of the house of God. And then we grew to 200 people, and then we gave some more. And then we grew to 300 people, we gave some more. So now we've raised, by then, it was in 2004, we raised 1 million ringgit to, to move into a church building, I mean into a warehouse that God has provided for us. So since then, for the last three years, we've been worshiping God in that place. Towards the end of last year, God gave us a vision that one day we will have our own building. Now, I thought in the next three years, if I can raise 8 million ringgit, I will lease another building that's much bigger and I'll try to fit in 1,500 people per service and I'll be quite happy. And if we outgrow the place, then I'll raise some more money. And then the next step is to buy a property of our own. So in my natural mind, in my natural desire, that is how I should plan it to be. But towards the end of last year, and God sent somebody into my life and told me and said, Kevin, you cannot just take a lease because it is a waste of God's money. You should go and buy. And I thought, I don't have the money to buy. I would love to buy, but I have no money. But you see, we're Asian and uh, we respect the elders a lot. So this elder came to me and said, you should buy. I said, I'd love to buy, but I've got no money. What should I do? So he said, well, sh- just try. I don't even know how to try. You know, how to, I mean, if you have no money, how to even go and buy? So he kept asking me, go and find a, find a place, go and find a place, and then we see what God will do. You know, let's believe God. Sometimes it's very easy when people tell you, let's believe God, when you don't even know what else to do. And I saw, I'm a pastor, I'm a man of faith. I said, okay, okay, let's believe God. So we went to hunt for properties. So we found a property, and then it was going for sale. The, uh, the company that owns that property was going bankrupt because the directors had run away with the money. So now we have a place, we found a place that we like. It was 12.5 million. Amen. 
Praise God. I say, oh, it's great. Hallelujah. So I told this elder and said, sir, according to your word, I've obeyed, found this building, and I went there. My heart was just like, just have a look. What else can I do? I only had one million in the bank at that point of time. Just the end of last year. So we had to look at the place. Okay, good. In my heart, <laughs> just a good building. I'm not going to buy it because I've got no money. And then he went to meet with the owner. And then they started to talk and negotiated a good price. And suddenly, I begin to feel if it is what God wants me to do. God, is this something that you want us to embark on? So I begin to pray and begin to seek the face of God. And finally, after we negotiated the price because it was way below market price. Market price is about $16 million, but because the company is winding up, so they are giving us at a discount at 12.5. It is a two and a half acre land in one of the busiest and more expensive area in our entire city. It is as big as this because right now our church is so small and to move there, the place is like 10 times bigger than what we have right now. It is like our little promised land. So I, I began to pray and I began to seek the face of God. For a month, I couldn't sleep. I wake up in the night and I thought, that's it. I wasted the money. You know, we couldn't get the building. We couldn't secure the building. So there were five days left to sign the deal. And one night, I was in a hotel room and I was pacing myself and I was praying, Father God, tell me, what should I do? Tell me, should we buy? Should we not buy? Should we buy? Should we not buy? If I'm going to buy, it's 12.5, where am I going to find the money? But if I don't buy, will I be a man of no faith? So there was an internal struggle on the inside of me. Should I? Should I not? Should I? Should I not? So I've come to the most desperate point that every pastor at some point will go through. And that I've got to try a, a, a Bible roulette. You know what is a Bible roulette? I was in the hotel. And I didn't even dare to tell my wife. She was sitting next to me on the bed. And I said, God, this is so difficult. You know, one day you wake up, I say just now, you know God has told you, go, Kevin, my son, buy it because I've reserved that building for you. Tomorrow you wake up, no, maybe God didn't say that. It was just me. You wake up again, God, yeah, God told me. So I told God, God, I said, this is your Bible. This is your word. I'm trained in the Bible school and this is like the most disgraceful thing I've ever do to my own life, to my own reputation. And one day I'm going to share with people People are going to laugh at me. But God, I've got no choice. Give me a sign. I need a sign before I sign on the dotted line because the first earnest deposit is 250000 That's quarter of a million. Quarter of a million is about 100000 New Zealand dollars. And um, that's after exchange rate in ringgit, right? And, and I told God, I said, God, if I'm going to pay this money, what if the deal didn't get through? What if I couldn't secure a loan? What should I do? So I say, Father God, give me a sign so that I know and I know and I know it is none other than you who have spoken to me. So I was in the hotel, right? So this is my Bible. I kept my Bible aside and I took out the hotel's Gideon's International Bible. Now we're on fair ground. God, is not my Bible. There's no marking. I don't even know where it is. I'm going to try it just one time. I say, God, when I flip open the Bible afterwards, if the passage talking about building the house of God, any passage about building the house of God, 
I know and I know and I know in my heart without doubt that you have spoken. It's one chance, one shot for glory. So I prayed and I flip open the Bible, a Gideon's International Bible that's not my Bible. To my surprise and my amazement, I turned to First Chronicles chapter 17. It was a passage when King David was storing up treasures for his son Solomon to build the most famous, most glorious temple of God. Wow! Come on, let's give God a big hand. Hallelujah! When I saw the passage, I didn't even know what to think of it. Was it really God? Or was it pure luck? I said, but anyway, for now, it will be God. All right? So I went the next day and uh, talked to my pastor. And he said, all right, go for it. And uh, I'm sure it is time for you to own your own property. So we signed the deal and I paid 250,000 ringgit. It's a lot of money for a church with 1,200 young people. It is an amount that even some of us, we couldn't earn in a lifetime. So after I signed, and then we started talking to the bankers. And the first round was really favorable. Bankers came to our church office, and they all came with all this exciting look. They said, oh, Mr. Pastor, I want you to know that oh, our bank has got no problem but to loan you the money. And so one bank called us, and another bank called us, and another bank called us, and all the banks came back with really favorable um, um, uh, rates and all that. And I felt so good. Hey, after all, it's God. I told you, it's God. And now I felt like, hey, I'm a great pastor. And, and it was really good. So while we were preparing the documents to present to the bank, to tell the bank that this is what we're embarking on, the whole project, the building itself is 12.5. I need another 8 million for renovation. So the entire thing will cost in the region of 20 million ringgit, right? That's, so that's a lot of money. And that was the first round. So while we were pre- preparing our documents, the second stage, all the banks came back to us and told us, you know, Mr. Pastor, we know you're a great man of faith, but uh, I talked to my boss. My boss says, we can't release the loan to you. It's the first bank. I said, why? He said, you see, we know you're a man of God. We know you'll keep your word, but what if one day you can't pay? The bank can't be suing the church. It's bad publicity. We don't want to get involved in that. But I said, I've got a building. Then the building will be a good collateral. Yes, it's true. But we still have to go through the court case and everything and blah, blah, blah. So no, my heart sank. So now I've got one bank rejecting me. And then second day, another bank rejected me. Third day, another bank rejected me. By now, all the banks I've spoken to, every one of them have said no. I paid 250000 In six weeks, I got to pay the balance one million, that is the, the 8% for the first 10% down payment. And I was going nowhere. One day, one of my church members called me and said, Pastor, my uncle is a very successful businessman. Maybe we can talk to him and see what, whether he can help us or not. So I thought, God, you know, is it really you that have spoken? Because if it's not you, I think I better quit now than wasting too much money that belongs to you, that belongs to the church. So I went to meet this businessman and I've never met him before. Never heard of me before for him either. So he came to see me. I mean, I went to see him. I was in his office. You see, I'm a young man and uh, I look like this. Whether it's in KL or here, I still look the same. 
I went to talk to him. I said, sir, all right, thank you so much for even taking time to meet me. And, and this is the deal. The building is $12.5 million. The renovation is eight. So that's what we need to build the house of God. I, I, I think I must have just shared with him for five minutes. He looked at me and said, young man, he took a piece of paper and a pencil. I mean, I've not seen businessmen use pencil in a long time. Took a piece of paper and a pencil. He said, this is what I can do. I'll help you to secure the loan of a 10 million and I'll give you the rest cash as a loan, a personal loan to you. Five minutes. I only spent five minutes talking to him. And he said, I'll give you the money. So once you pay me back, then you can take the loan and the church building belongs to you. No problem at all. I was stunned. I was like, this is not real. I mean, it can't be, God. How can someone I've never met before would give me so much money on the spot? He hasn't even come to our church before. He didn't even know what I was doing except for the fact that he knew that I was a pastor. I went back home that day and I started to ask my leaders, come, come, leaders, let's have a meeting and let's see what we can do. Whether is it, is it possible? Is it legal? And then we talked to our lawyers, and we talked to everybody. And because I'm a very smart pastor, so I tried to Google him. If you try to Google somebody, right? So you try to Google this man on the internet. So I type his name on the Google and uh, Google Malaysia. And you know what? I found nothing. There was not a single documentation about this man on the internet. Who is this guy? For a while I thought, maybe he was Melchizedek, the high priest that Abraham gave his offering to. There was no beginning and there was no end. How on earth this man has got nothing? In a, I mean, if he's a rich man in Malaysia, at least there's one company that belongs to his name that I can find and, and know more about him. So I don't know what to do. So I checked Google, my, my, my leaders checked, and, and, and Google, and we tried every possible way. We couldn't get any details about this man. So after the first meeting, I was going to see him a second time to ask him, if he's willing to sign a simple legal papers so that, you know, we're clear about what we're doing here so that you won't get upset and I won't get upset if something didn't work out. She said, so I was going to meet him for the second time, right? And, and uh, the day before that, I went to speak to the eldest, the initial one that, that became a catalyst to help us to buy this church building. He said to me, he, I said, you know, do you know this businessman how come I have no news about him? I, I can't find anything on the internet about him. And then he started to tell me that this gentleman, his father used to own a big part of Kuala Lumpur. The three most expensive suburbs in Kuala Lumpur today all belong to this family. But they're very low-profile people. They don't like to be known. That is why everything is under the company name. And that is why you don't hear a thing about him. And I was shocked. So, but at least I'm confident that he's for real. That if he say that he will loan me the money, he really does have the money. So I went back the next, the second time to meet him and started talking to him. So I said, are you willing to sign the document? He said, oh, no problem. I'll be more than happy to do it because I just want to do this for Jesus. And then while sitting there with him, I said, so why? Tell me why you would do this. He said, when you walk into my office, I was expecting an older man. 
an older pastor wanting to build a church. But he said, I was shocked that it was a young chap and I thought you were a teenager when you walked into my office and you told me that you have a vision that comes from God to build a 20 million building for Jesus. I am impressed by your faith, he said. And because of your faith, I'm willing to be a vessel to help you build this building for the glory of God. Come on, let's give Jesus a big hand. Hallelujah! That was reckless. That was reckless faith. And we know now why this faith is God's own faith. It is not our kind of faith at our disposal because I don't think any one of us can cope living on God's faith every day. We may have heart attack and died. I I don't know if I can take this another time. But our God is a great God. But our God wants us to develop self-belief, develop confidence, and develop the daily faith to live by. So that when we are ready, when we have built up spiritual muscles on the inside of us, one day when God sees that we are ready, He will give us that opportunity to experience His kind of faith, to do His work for the glory of His name. Church, the reason I'm sharing this with you, because this morning I talk about how to bring Christ into our culture, into our community. I want faith to arise in you to really believe the work that you're doing will shine for God. And you've got to position yourself to hear God, to know the time, <clears throat> to know the season when God will deposit His faith into your life and you'll be launched out. Young people, listen. You may be still a student right now, but you don't be a student forever. You will probably be one day richest man in New Zealand, someone that can build buildings for God, someone that can help other people to be successful. And for all the people who are working, believe in God, the faith will arise in you that every day when you go to work, your faith will be a blessing to the company that you're working for. When it is God's word, He will perform. When it is God's vision, it shall come to pass. And so let us develop the habit of reading the Word of God so that the Word of God will build faith in our lives. Let us develop the habit of building a strong personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of God's people say, so let's step out in faith. Let's step out of our comfort zone, step out of our boat, and do something for Jesus in this city. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Let's close the Bible. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you tonight. Thank you, God, that we can come back again to just praise and worship you. To come and receive your word, oh God. Father, we want to have faith arise from within us in the work that we're doing. Some of us maybe we're facing some challenges right now. You come to a point whereby in your work that you're facing a situation that seems there's no way out. But instead of trusting men, instead of trusting other people, why don't we learn to trust God instead? Spend time in prayer 
and say, Father God, I have this situation that I'm facing right now. Would you help me? God, I need a word from heaven. I need a fresh revelation from heaven. Lord, give me a solution. Lord, help me out here. Oh, maybe there's a situation in your campus, in your college, in your school that you're facing right now. Something very difficult. You don't even know how to respond. But instead of trusting the counsel of your friends, which is not wrong, why don't we trust Jesus? That Jesus will provide a way out for us. Maybe it's a financial situation in your family. Trying very, very hard to meet ends meet. You've got to believe God. You've got to believe God. That God will provide jobs. That God will give us work opportunities. And that we will work with our hands. So that the vision, the dreams that God has given to our family, to us, will come to pass. So we do not just pray and hope that the best will turn out. But we pray we will also work.